Hi, I'm James Gardner, host of Your History, Your Story, a podcast for everybody who loves stories about interesting people and events told by those who uncovered them from within their own family trees. This, we hope, will inspire you to discover and celebrate your history and your story. As many may know, the United States of America will be celebrating its 250th birthday on July 4th, 2026. With that important date on the horizon, some will pause to think about the American Revolution and the great sacrifices made to gain our independence from Great Britain. New Jersey, one of the original 13 colonies, played a critical role during the Revolutionary War, as many battles were fought there, and George Washington spent more time there than anywhere else. In this episode of Your History, Your Story, we'll be speaking with author and website creator Al Frazza. Al is a lifelong resident of New Jersey whose passion for history prompted him to take a seven and a half year journey to research, photograph, and document nearly 650 historic Revolutionary War sites throughout his state. Al then used his research to create a comprehensive website called RevolutionaryWarNewJersey.com, which provides historians, teachers, and history buffs with a treasure trove of information. Al, who authored the book, State of Revolution, My Seven and a Half Year Journey Through Revolutionary War New Jersey, will share his experiences of traveling to all of New Jersey's 21 counties to complete the research for his amazing website. I'd now like to welcome Al Frazza to our show. Welcome, Al. Hello, James. Thank you for having me on your show. I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and your listeners about the book. Well, thank you. And we're going to talk about your website as well. So you've, uh, you've done so much work on New Jersey history. Al, have you lived in New Jersey all your life? Yes, lifelong Jersey guy. So can you tell us a little bit about your early fascination with the Beatles and how that led to your interest in history? I know in your book you mentioned that. So how did the Beatles get tied into your interest in history? Well, I didn't think of myself as being someone who was actually into history until about my early 20s uh, when I started reading books about different aspects of American history, and I was really hooked on it. But thinking back, I realized that I was interested in history much earlier than that. I just really didn't think of it that way at the time. Back when I was in grammar school, I discovered the Beatles, and I very quickly became completely obsessed with them. And not just their music, but their entire story, which is a fascinating story. And, you know, at that point, I, I read any books I could get my hands on about them, and then I wanted to know more. I wanted to know about their time period, the 60s, because I hadn't lived through it in, in real time. I was too young to see it as it happened. Right. So I wanted to learn what was happening at that time in the culture, in politics to a point, and how that affected them and how they affected the culture in turn. I wanted to go back and learn about 50s rock and roll because that's what had inspired them to make their music. Even in what I was reading at a young age, you know, I was reading Edgar Allan Poe and Lewis Carroll basically because they both appeared on the cover of the Sgt. Pepper album. Now, I didn't think of this as being history when I was a kid. It wasn't until later when I did get into history that I realized that, no, that's as much history as politics and war. Right. 
basically everything that everyone has ever done is part of history. And when I made that connection later on, it just made the entire experience of looking at history better for me. Just that it wasn't, I didn't say this is history and that's not history. It all ties in together. Right. That makes a lot of sense because I, I feel the same way. I used to think history was about, you know, the Civil War, the American Revolution, maybe some of the, you know, presidents, some political stuff. Then, you know, as I, as I got older and I continued to read history, I've loved history all my life, but I started to find that there's history in everything and things in my lifetime that happened are history. I mean, anything that happened really 10 minutes ago <laughs> is really history. So I love the way in your book, you talked about the Beatles and you, that made so much sense when you said that, you know, just reading about them and their times and the influences and things like that. It kind of made you aware that, uh, you know, history is anything that's happened. And really, there's so many interesting things that's happened in this world that the study of history just, I mean, it makes me come alive personally. That's how, how I feel about it. So it's the same story with you then. Absolutely. What are your thoughts about the best way to tell history? What comes to mind when you think about how to effectively tell history in an interesting way? That's a great question. A few things come to mind. The first one ties into what we were just discussing, that, you know, in my case, at an early age, it, it was the Beatles, and then there were other things I was interested in, of course, that I would connect to history. But no matter who the person is, there's something that they're interested in. Mm -hmm. And some, uh, a lot of people, if they tell you, oh, I find history is boring, if you then ask them about their favorite baseball team or their favorite movie actor or actress or their favorite musical act, they can tell you things about that subject's history, whether it was the first movie that actor made or the first year that their favorite athlete played professionally. And I have a chapter about this in the book related to that called the history connection of helping people find that connection. If you can start with that and make them realize, well, that's part of history too. And the events that you're interested in didn't happen in a vacuum. They were part of everything else that was going on at the time, culturally, politically. So that's one aspect. Second thing that comes to mind is that, you know, you mentioned dates. And a lot of people, if you bog information down in dates and facts and figures, you know, their eyes glaze over. Now, I think dates are very important to understand, and I'm interested in them, but that's not the easiest way to get through to people who think they're going to be bored by history. So in that case, I think the important thing is to focus on stories, to tell them the events in a way that there's some drama. I mean, tell them as accurately as possible, given the known information, yeah. but tell them in a way that it's drama, that, it, that there's a story, because everyone likes stories. I mean, as human beings, we love stories. That's why people watch television. That's why people go to the movies. That's why people read novels, and that's why people who are known to be good storytellers tend to be popular in social situations. You know, we're just drawn to stories. So I, I think that's the way to connect to people, is to make it about telling them a story, rather than just feeling like, oh, these are dates that I have to memorize. And I guess, finally, what comes to my mind is related to the point that I just made, which is that when history is told in a way that well, this happened, and then that happened, and then this happened. It's just a chain of events. 
it makes it sound almost as if it was inevitable to turn out the way that it did. But in reality, the people who lived before us, whether we're talking about the Revolutionary War era, or we're talking about the Depression, or we're talking about World War II, or any time in history you're talking about, the fact is that the people living through it had no idea how it was going to turn out. They got up every day not knowing what was going to happen that day, the same way that I did today, the same way you did, and the same way that all of your listeners did. We live with a certain degree of suspense. We don't know what's going to happen next. And that was true of everyone that lived in the past. And as I spent years, for instance, working on the Revolutionary War New Jersey website, I spent hundreds of hours reading Washington's correspondence during the war, particularly stuff that he wrote while he was in New Jersey. And you can feel it. You can feel the stress that he's under the pressure because he does not know how it's going to turn out. He doesn't know how the war is going to turn out. He doesn't know he's eventually going to be president of this new country. And that was true of him. It was true of all of his officers and all of his soldiers. And it was true of everyone living in New Jersey at that time. And I think if you can make that connection to people that, no, this isn't just something that we're giving you dates in, in an order that makes it seem as if it was inevitable how it turned out. They lived in as much suspense as to what would happen next as we do every day that we're living. That is really well said. The name of this podcast is Your History, Your Story, and, and clearly storytelling is what we're all about because, and we've had so many amazing guests and, and hearing about events and personalities throughout history that have impacted people's lives and stories as a kid. I remember stories my dad told me, bedtime stories that stick with me today. And that's how we remember things. And that's, uh, again, feeling the drama of what people were going through. You make such a good point when you said they didn't know what was going to happen when they woke up in the morning. I read a book, you probably have read it, the book 1776 by David McCullough. In that book, the suspense that I felt when McCullough was telling about the patriots in New York City awaiting the arrival of the British and Hessians and what that meant to this, uh, you know, the struggle that we were having against them in the revolution. And I could feel that enormous amount of stress. And, and that story just got to me like, whoa, they didn't know what was going to happen to them. They didn't know they were going to be hanged or they were going to be killed or what have you. And it's a big drama. And, and, and when it's presented that way, you know, it's engaging, but it also helps you to remember the dates and the different facts sort of roll into the story, but you retain them because it's part of a story that, you know, we love to hear. Now, can I ask you, did you have any mentors, like teachers, or were there authors who inspired you to, to get a little more serious in studying history, Al? I don't think that anyone I knew personally was really a mentor for me in that way, but certainly there were writers and historians and creative people that, I guess, serve the role of being a mentor without me actually knowing them. You know, I mentioned before that in my early 20s, I started reading a lot of books on American history. And I think the first author that really had an effect on me in that way was Stephen Ambrose. Mm -hmm. So I would just say in that way, I would think of that in some way of being a mentor. If only that reading some of his books, there's a, something that comes through of the sense of enjoyment he has in, in enjoying what he's doing, finding out 
how these stories happen, doing the research, and then telling the story. Also, uh, someone by the name of James Burke, who is most known probably for, for the Connection series, but he also did a 10-part documentary decades ago called The Day the Universe Changed, hmm. which when I was in my 20s, I watched it many, many times. And that had such a profound effect on the way that I view history. Uh, I don't know if it's apparent in my writing in any way, but whenever I'm thinking about history, I think there's some aspect of the ideas that I got from James Burke and the day the universe changed that are always there. And I highly recommend watching the day the universe changed if you have the time to fit it in. It's a 10-part uh, series, so it's 10 hours altogether, but I think it's well worth the time. Sounds like something I want to check out. That's really cool. I, I, you know, I was thinking about when I asked you to be a guest on our podcast, I was just so amazed to think that you embarked on a seven and a half year journey through Revolutionary War New Jersey to, in effect, build a website that people could use to really get an idea of where all the different events of the American Revolution took place in our state of New Jersey. And to think that you had that determination and that stick to to do it. And I know it was a journey, and we're going to talk about that in a second. So let me ask you, is your website, uh, does it provide a complete list of Revolutionary War sites in New Jersey? No, it's not a complete list. I always try to make the point that it is not a complete list because in one way, I don't know if it's possible to truly do a, a fully complete list because it would be a matter of where do you draw the line in terms of what qualifies as a historic site. Would it be every single house and hillside that even had even the, the remotest connection to the Revolutionary War? So in the course of, of creating the website, I tried to be as thorough as possible. There are about 650 locations on there. I, all major Revolutionary War historic sites in New Jersey are included on the website, and hundreds of minor ones. Mm -hmm. As I said, I tried to be as thorough as possible in creating the site. And another thing that I really tried to do when I was determining what I was including on the site was that I wanted sites in as many locations as possible spread out across New Jersey, in all 21 counties, and in towns spread out across the state, so that Wherever you live in New Jersey, if you go on the website for the first time and you're looking in your area, there should be some site you can go to look at in person that's only a few miles from where you live. Now, it may not be the most important site, but I really wanted it to be where somebody going on the site for the first time would find something nearby to them. And then if they get interested, they can spread out from there. What a fantastic resource. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up a drop. What inspired or who inspired you to, to start this journey of building this incredible website? Well, I began the process back in 2009. At that point, I had been very into history for many years and often went to historic sites. Actually, though, before I started the website, I actually went to more Civil War sites than anything else. You know, Gettysburg, Antietam, Fredericksburg, all the really well-known Civil War battlefields, but I also went to Revolutionary War sites, including many in New Jersey. I became more and more aware that so much has happened in New Jersey, but also that there was not a lot of 
knowledge of this in or out of New Jersey, and I wanted to do something, I wanted to make a contribution to raise awareness about this, and I decided to create a website. Now, when I started, I had no idea how big the project would become. It sounds strange when I look back on this, but I really thought it would take me a few months, but the project just began to grow and grow and grow over time as I started adding more and more locations, and I became more intent on doing really in-depth research for the project and having you know source notes for everything that I put on the website. Now, people have asked me if I had known at the beginning that it was going to take me seven and a half years and thousands of hours of my life to do what I have done it. And, you know, the answer is no. If I had known at the start, I would not have undertaken the project. Since I did do it, you know, I'm very glad that I did it and, you know, that it's over and that I had this wonderful experience to create it and everything I got to see during those seven and a half years. But I had no idea what I was getting into at the start. And if I did know, I wouldn't have done it. You're so honest about that, Al. I love that because sometimes it's like when I, when I say, oh, I, if somebody said, were you glad you ran that half marathon? And because I finished it, I'm like, oh yeah, that was great. But when I was at mile eight or 10 or whatever, I'm thinking, why did I ever do this? I'm out of my mind that I did this. But you know, once it's done, we say, hey, glad we did it. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's one way to look at it, but you know, that's seven and a half years. That's a, that's a lot of time. So Al, during the seven and a half year period that you're out there and, and building the database through all your journeys to these different sites in the state, can you sort of single out a time or times within that period when you felt the most challenged or discouraged during that journey? Yes. In the middle years of the project, I reached a point where I was very discouraged about the whole project for a number of reasons. It had basically taken over my life. It was just what I was doing all the time whenever I could. But at the same time, I couldn't see any end in sight. It just seemed like the project kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I didn't know how many years it would take me to finish it if indeed I ever would finish it. Now, because I was devoting so much time to the project, I was working on it totally alone and I had no financial backing and I really didn't have the money to be working on the project. So I hit a point in the middle where I was just completely broke, unsure if and when I would ever finish it. And I was very, very discouraged. I made it through that period of time. You know, I I sold some stuff to raise some money to keep going on. And then by the end of 2015, I developed a plan for how I could finish in 2016. I estimated I had a certain amount of towns left to do. And if I finished a certain amount each month, then I would finish by the end of 2016. As it turned out, I didn't finish until a little bit into 2017. But just getting to the point where I had a plan to get to the end made me feel better about it. But certainly in the middle, it was very discouraging. I can imagine that. I mean, you're, you're already invested a lot of time already. I'm just speculating here, but I'm, I'm thinking it's hard to cut it loose at that point. But by the same time, not having had a plan and saying, hey, when is this ever going to end? And when can I get on with other important areas of my life? 
but you know, getting that plan in place just helped you see the light at the end of the tunnel, I guess, right? Yes. And what you said before that, once you put a certain amount of time into something and years into it, it's very hard to say, well, okay, well, I, I'm just giving up. I mean, not only did you have to go around to, to all the sites, but then you had to enter this information in into the website. I mean, that, that in and of itself is a huge project as part of it. That's a lot of time spent in there. But I would imagine that you had some really interesting parts of the journey where you felt, hey, this is actually fun. I'm learning a lot of stuff from this. Can you tell us about some of the most interesting sites or stories that you encountered while you were compiling your website? Yes. And even when there were time periods, where I said before, where I got very discouraged in the middle, there was always an interest when I was getting into the stories of what happened. And the things that most interested me were the human interest side of what had occurred. Um, you know, I had to write about all kinds of things, but I was more engaged when I was researching and writing about human interest things rather than just battles or purely military aspects of it. I was always interested in the fact that the people that lived here in this state at that time were living their lives within a war zone. You know, they were just going about their lives before the war started, and then all of a sudden they're in the middle of a war zone. And that was so interesting to me. Now, a lot of what I encountered was very sad when it came to that, but I felt a real connection to the people who lived here at that time. Almost, and I, you know, I mentioned this in the book that even though I don't, I'm not actually related to the people that lived in this state during the Revolutionary War era, I do feel a connection to them that's almost like a relation, that we share the same space, that I'm living my life in the same space that they lived in a different time. I also was always interested in anything that had to do with George Washington. There usually wasn't that long of a period of time in my research when he wasn't present, um, but when he was, I never got bored. The many hours I spent reading what he had written and what he was going through, he's just such a fascinating person, and he's really unlike anyone else. You know, Al, I'm a big fan of George Washington myself, but... I think about New Jersey being the military capital of the revolution. I've seen signs around the state that say that. And George Washington spent a lot of time here, but he was just the right person for the time. Another person that really fascinated me in seeing his story in New Jersey was Benjamin Franklin. Now, the time that Franklin spent in New Jersey is much, much less than Washington did. But I came to realize that at several really important moments in his, in his life, his story did connect with New Jersey. There's actually, actually one of the chapters in my book is called Benjamin Franklin's New Jersey. That's interesting because when I think of Ben Franklin, I most often think about his adventures in Boston and in Philadelphia, but not New Jersey. So Al, let's talk about your book. You've gone through this journey and now you're writing about it. So why did you write the book? Who, who inspired you? What inspired you? You know, you'd already invested so much time on the website and uh, you're probably exhausted. <laughs> and uh, but then you decide you're going to write a book. So wh what happened? How did that come to be? Well, after I completed work on the website in March of 2017, I really needed a break completely from the subject or 
anything related to it. So I took the rest of that year off. And then at the beginning of 2018, you know, I sat down and, and I tried to figure out how I would turn it into a book in some way. I knew I wanted to turn it into a book, but I wasn't sure the approach I wanted to take. So I came up with a couple of different ideas um, that I could do, such as just focusing on George Washington in New Jersey. And I asked a number of people the reactions to the ideas I had for the book. And then it was suggested to me that it might be more interesting if I just wrote about what happened to me and incorporated the history stuff into that story. It had never occurred to me to do that. And I don't think it ever would have if someone hadn't suggested it to me. But when I thought about it, I found the idea appealing for a number of reasons. I knew that writing a book in that way would require a very different style than what I had written on the website. It would require a much more personal style of writing. And I really wanted to attempt that. I also knew that because I was basically telling my story and then bringing in information that I already knew from doing the website work that I didn't have to do any further research for it. Right. So, you know, once I had come to see it that way, I was really excited about the idea of doing it. And it was a completely different experience writing the book. I mean, it, there wasn't the pressure I felt that I put on myself when I was doing the website. And it's a very different experience than the website is. I mean, the website is a lot of information about a lot of different locations. And the style of the book and the approach of the book is very different. It's a personal story telling what happened to me and in the process telling some stories from the Revolutionary War era. And they can stand on their own, but I think they're two very different experiences. And that's what I had set out to do. Yeah, well, I read the book and it is great. Again, it's, it's your story. It's a story. It flows. It's just very interesting. There's something else I wanted to ask you about. So you used a 1947 typewriter to type up this book. Could you tell us about that? Yes, I, I used a 1947 manual typewriter to write the book. You know, after I decided on what the approach of the book that we just discussed, once I decided on what that was going to be, I knew I wanted to try a much more informal style of writing than I'd used on the website. Also, too, I was very tired of working on a computer and looking at a computer screen, you know, after all the hours I had spent doing that working on, on the website. So I, I just knew I didn't want to use a computer to write the book. And, you know, I, I thought about how I was going to do it. I considered writing it by hand, dictating it, you know, into some kind of recorder and then having it transcribed. And then I remembered that my mom had this old typewriter. And, you know, I called my mom up and I asked her if she still had it. She said she did. She had kept it for years thinking that eventually somebody might want it for some reason and I could take it if I wanted it. So the next time I was at her house, she had the, the typewriter down in the basement and I went to try it. After typing on it for only a few seconds, I knew immediately that I wanted to write the book on the typewriter. I mean, one thing was that was surprising was that, you know, the ribbon was very old. It hadn't been used in a long time, but it's still typed. It was faint, but it's still typed. I found out a little bit after that you could still get ribbons for it. I absolutely loved working on the typewriter. It's not for everyone. It's a very labor-intensive way of writing. For instance, when I was writing the book, I would type a first draft of a chapter. 
Then I would sit down with a pen and pencil and I would mark up what I wanted to change for the next draft. Sometimes I would white things out. Literally, there were times when I was working on drafts of a chapter when I would cut and paste in the actual physical sense of the word. I would take a scissor and I would cut out a paragraph that I wanted to see somewhere else. And then I would tape it back in in a different place. When I was ready to write a new draft, you have to sit down and retype it. Now, if anyone listening is, has never used a manual typewriter, it is a very different experience because oh, yeah. you, you have to physically push down those keys in a way that you don't when you're typing on a PC keyboard. Or even, even if you were working on an electric typewriter, it's just not the same as typing on the manual typewriter. Now, for me, I found that it really focused me in my writing because if you're typing on a computer, you're writing on a computer, you know that you can edit it very easily. As a matter of fact, you can, re you can edit it before you're even done. You yeah. can say, oh, I didn't like that sentence. I'm going to, but when you're typing on the typewriter, you can't do that. And it forces you to just pay attention to really every character that you're typing. I enjoyed it very much. I think it, it really contributed to the style that the book is written in. My advice to anyone who might be considering it is just find somewhere that you can get access to a manual typewriter and sit down and try typing on it for a few minutes. You will know in that time whether it's something you want to use or, or something that you don't. The other thing that made this typewriter special to me was that it has a family history. It had belonged to my great aunt Stephanie who was a secretary back in the, the late 40s, early 50s time period. And she then gave it to my mom in the early 50s when she worked as a secretary. And then it just, you know, sat for many decades. The fact that it actually had this family connection made it even more special to me. I did my share of pounding out term papers and all sorts of stuff at college with a, uh, a manual typewriter. And I remember sweating it out at uh, three o'clock in the morning trying to get a paper done and then I'd make a mistake and I didn't even have the one that had like the correction thing on it uh, not as old as 1947 but I remember getting so frustrated but you know I, I bring up David McCullough again because I remember hearing him say that he has typed uh, all of his famous books on an old typewriter that he's had for many many years so you and he are in good company that's good company to be in. That it is. So so you've put together the website that, from what I understand, thousands of people literally a week are going on the website and looking up the information that you've assembled, and people are starting to, to read your book and find out about that journey. How did that whole process, the book and the website, impact who you are today? Did it have any impact on your life as far as the way you do things, the, the way you think, or the way that uh, you may want to think about doing another project in the future? You know, doing the website project had a very big effect on me, probably in some ways that I can't even see yet, just because that's the way life is sometimes. Just to pick a few things, I would say I went into this without any training as a historian. I you know, I had to teach myself how to do research with documents as I was working on the project. And by the, by the end of that, I had just become very critical about accepting information. Any bit of information I see now, I always want to see the original documents. I, you know, if I see, you know, something quoted to somebody, it's like, well, I want to see where this originally was from. Now, that isn't 
you know, practical to do in day-to-day life all the time. But I do have that now, and I think it's made me very critical about accepting any information. On a lighter note, one thing, I did a lot of driving during the course of the project. I would drive to different areas of the state. I would do eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 hour days driving all over New Jersey, finding places, taking photos. By the time I finished the website, I just could not stand driving. And it's funny to me that I routinely would take those long drives back then. But now if I have to go somewhere and I look it up and I see that, oh, it's you know, it's eight minutes away. I'm thinking, I can't believe I got to try eight minutes because I just, <laughs> I really, I just got so tired of driving from all of that. I think that uh, on, a, on a more serious note, having lived with all those years, I was learning about sadness and battles and death. And I think that affected me very much. I don't think it's possible to spend your days so often with sad information and not have it affect you. You know, not that everything that I studied from the time was said, but a lot of it was. And I know that affected me. I, I guess I'd like to think that that made me, that experience made me a better person in some ways, more empathetic, sympathetic and understanding. But I do know that, that it affected me. And then I would say finally, aside from the, all of the sadness and sorrow that I was learning about and reading about all the time. You know, still, I'm very happy that I got to have this experience. It was an amazing journey that, as I said before, I didn't know when I started that this was what was going to happen. I didn't know it was going to take that long, and I had no idea how much I was going to end up seeing, because I got to see this state in a way there's no other way I, I would have had reason to see it. I mean, just even going into all 21 counties is probably something I never would have had the reason to do if I hadn't been doing a project like this. But I got to see basically every corner of the state. You know, at the very beginning of the book, you know, which is about my experiences creating the website, I described the website project as my life's big adventure. And that's really how I see it. You know, I, I'm going to do more history projects in life, and I'm working on one now, but nothing will ever be as big a scope as that project was. And I'm grateful I had the opportunity. I'm grateful that I got to see all these places. I got to learn all of this. I, you know, I, I got to meet and talk to a lot of interesting people along the way at different locations, historic sites, libraries. And it, it was just, it was just a, a great experience, and I'm, I'm so grateful to have had it. Well, there's a lot of people grateful to you, Al, because, uh, and I'm one of them, because I remember, oh, it was a few years ago, I was doing some genealogical research on my family, and uh, I came across in the family tree a man named, he was uh, Captain Jacob Gerhardt, and he's like a, oh, I don't know, fourth or fifth great-granduncle, I think it was, and I queried him a little bit, and I went online, and it brought me to your website. And it turns out that he was from Hunterton County in, in New Jersey and that he was one of the men who was assigned to the boats by George Washington to, to man the boats to cross the Delaware. And there's a photograph of the sign where his house is. It wasn't until doing this interview with you that I realized that that's the, the website that I had been going to. So thank you. Thank you so much for that, Al. That's really great work. Well, thank you for saying that. That's very kind of you. 
Yeah, sure. But but you you mentioned about another project that you might be working on now. Can you talk about that? So so yes, I finished writing State of Revolution by the end of 2019. The book wasn't released until earlier this year, but I had finished it then. After I finished working on the book, I began another project on an entirely different area of research, which is I'm working on a book about New Jersey in the middle of the 20th century. And I'm two and a half years into the research for that, but I still have a lot more research to do before I actually write anything for it. I hope that that book will end up being published by 2025. But as I said, there's a lot more research to do before I actually get to the writing. I'm enjoying this project very much. It's so different doing research on the middle of the 20th century as opposed to the 1700s because there's film and there's audio. And that was just very exciting when I began the research to think that, oh, some of my primary documents here are actually audio or video because in all the time I spent reading Washington's documents and going to places where he'd been, I will never know what his voice sounded like or what his facial expressions were when he talked because no one alive knows that. Mm. And there was no, there was no film uh, or tape to record that at the time. That's not the case in the middle of the 20th century. And that just, was a really exciting change for me in terms of the research. And I have to say, after two and a half years, that, that hasn't worn off. I also decided around that time that I was pretty much moving on from researching and writing about the Revolutionary War. I envision that for the rest of my life, whatever projects I'm working on are probably going to be about New Jersey. But I didn't want to remain, continue to work on the Revolutionary War. There is one other project pertaining to Revolutionary War New Jersey, which I hope will come out in, say, 2023, which is going to be a book of, like, a coffee table book featuring the best photographs from the website. And, uh, you know, that won't really require any major writing. It'll just be captions. It'll mainly be a photo book. So hopefully that will come out sometime in 2023. That's terrific. Well, we're looking forward to your future projects. Al, I got to ask you, if you could go back in time to the Revolutionary War, and to one of the sites you visited, which one would it be and why? Well, you know, I don't think I could pick one place or event. I think I'd answer it a little bit differently because this is the thing, what I'm about to say is the thing I really thought about the most. If I could go back and see something, I'd just like to witness people going about their day-to-day life because I would wonder that often as I was trying to figure out what happened. What was it like when people talked to each other in social situations, in family situations, if they were conducting business? I lived my whole life, like you and all of everybody listening, we've lived it in the modern world. And there's certain ways that we all act without thinking about it. We have an expectation of the way people act in a social situation, how people act with their friends, how they act with their brothers or sisters, how much you know, friends or family members might joke around with each other. And again, we think about it. It's just the way that we act because it's what we know. And I always wondered if if I could see a family sitting down at dinner, you know, in the 1780s or just two friends talking, you know, would the way that they talk to each other seem very different from the way that we interact now? So, So, yeah, I think I would like to have seen just 
sort of quiet everyday moments to see how people acted like that. Because again, none of us saw it and none of us alive today lived through it. So we really can only guess. And I think I would choose that over any major moment that happened during the war if I could see it for myself. I really like that. Uh, I feel the same way. I do have some family, some ancestors who fought in the war, and I've done a lot of research into the family, and I picture what these families were like and what they said around the dinner table, as you said. You talked about the misery and the sadness that you had to sort of entrench yourself in, because when you're you're talking about battles and you're talking about smallpox and all those things, you know, certainly we have death and tragedy in, in our own society but I think back in the 18th century, it was just part of life. I mean, routinely, you would have families that would lose two or three young people from smallpox, or you'd have young soldiers who died in camp without even firing a shot. I guess that's one of the things that, you know, they just had to deal with. And I can imagine that would have somehow impacted their daily lives and what they said and uh, what they did. Anyway, but thanks for helping me think about that and the 18th century and the amazing work that you did on both your book and your website. But I want you to tell our listeners how they can get a copy of your book, State of Revolution. Well, the book is available on Amazon at Barnes and Noble's website, you know, any brick and mortar bookstore, if they don't have the book in stock, anywhere should be able to order it. Um, You can also go to revolutionarywarnewjersey.com the book is about the creation of that website and you can go and find out about the historic sites in your area. But also there from there, there's a page that will take you to where you can purchase the book or you could look on um, my author website, which is alfraza.com, A-L-F-R-A-Z-Z-A.com. Thank you. And I know as we approach 250 years of history, the United States I can't believe it. I remember the bicentennial. So now we're coming up on 250 years in 2026. I'm sure there's an increased interest in the Revolutionary War and the founding of this country. So I know your website's going to be a huge help for those people who are maybe wanting to take a ride and take one of those family history trips into New Jersey. So thank you for being a guest on our show. And I'm sure our listeners appreciate your determination and stick to to finish the website and give us this great book about your adventure, putting that together. So, Al, thanks again. I hope you have a great day and a good rest of 2022. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. I really enjoyed talking with you. Great, Al. Have a good night. Thank you so much, James. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Your History, Your Story. You can connect with us on Facebook and YouTube at Your History, Your Story, or on Instagram and Twitter at YHYS Podcast. We'd love to hear from you if you have any questions, comments, or a story to tell. Be well and God bless.